back to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are here to preview the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. I'm joined by Amy Lauren Jones. Hello. Sweater. Great. Oh, Same sweater as last time. Still, <laughs> still a great sweater. Hold up here. <laughs> Have you not changed in a week? <laughs> no, no, I haven't taken it off. I flew back from the UK in it. Tilda Price. Hello. I think I'm wearing different clothes today. We, we work from home and we live in a post-pandemic world, so... Exactly. Anything goes, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this day and age, you can go to the grocery store in your pajamas and nobody will think twice about it. So I think that I think that's a, we, it's a pretty okay world we live in in that sense, you know? Please don't go to the supermarket in your pajamas, though. That's giving up. Uh, well, like, but, but if you're wearing, if you wear, like, <laughs> if you wear, like, not ridiculous pajamas, like, say you sleep in, like, I don't know, just like a pair of shorts and a big t-shirt, like myself. This is a weird conversation. I'm. Are you speaking from personal in. experience? Have I just inadvertently <laughs> sliced yeah. you off? I've gone to the store in my pajamas. That has definitely happened. <laughs> Nobody looked at me, though. I was like, actually, probably better dressed than a couple. This is in Boulder, Colorado, though. That I'm I was going to say, this is not in Spain, is it? Because if you did that in Spain. No. Yeah. yeah. I did. Oh, and Lauren Rowney. Lauren Rowney is also here. Well, I'm Hello, sitting Lauren. in my pajamas. So there we go. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, that's different. Eh? You're not in public. <laughs> yeah but we're judging you no we're not <laughs> no i did go to Sp- go to the spanish grocery store once in like sh- like running shorts and a clearly like a t-shirt that was quite old and i did get a couple looks a couple like that was the first thing that i noticed when i moved there no, but that's fine. That's normal clothes. No, no not, not in on Spain. Monique, it's not. No, but even in Girona, all the women dress beautifully. Yeah, they do. And then we're just walking around in like Lululemon tights, which I think are great. Um, they are great. And yeah, we just clearly are not locals. No, you, we're easy to spot as not being from Girona. <laughs> but there's very few of those people here, I feel we've we've taken over the town it's actually kind of sad anyway moving on we're here to talk about the tour de france femme avec zwift this is very exciting we've been building up to this race for like a year we've gone over the potential downfalls of it we've talked about how excited we are we're probably going to touch on both in this podcast but we're going to talk about the course we're going to talk about contenders we're going to talk about a great piece that amy wrote on cyclingtips.com if you want to check that out it is linked in the description below i actually wrote it and amy just went swooped in there and stole the byline (laughs) y'all's gonna get paid Uh, Let's actually, before we dive into the the course for the Tour de France Femme and really break down all of the stages, let's start with how we got here, which is obviously there used to be a women's Tour de France back in the day, back 1984. It was 18 stages long. I did my history. It was actually, to interject before that, 1950. No, 1950. Mm. Five? What was it? Five, I think. 55? Yeah. Won by a Manx rider called Millie Robinson. So there used to be a women's Tour de France. So I think that this 
the, an interesting thing that's been happening with this race is everyone keeps saying, oh, the first women's Tour de France, but it's it's definitely not. It definitely used to happen. <clears throat> and there was 18 stages. They were the same courses as the men. They would just start later and have the same finish line as the men. So it would follow much of the same route. And it was it was a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, I was, well, I guess you two, Amy and Tilda probably dived into the history a bit, but what I found interesting was, yeah, it was 18 stages. So it was a long tour, but the tour, the stages themselves were really short. It wasn't run in a sustainable way. And the way that they were running, it was like the women would start at crazy early hours, um, have these massive transfers quite often, I think start and finish where the finish of the men's was. Um, and basically it was two separate races within the 18 days because the UCI said women couldn't race longer than 10 days. So because it was 18 stages, they had four rest days and they broke it up and they were actually separate jerseys and everything like that. But when they finished on the Champs-Élysées, then the overall winner was given the yellow jersey. It was like a bit of an odd setup. And of course, um, we didn't have the professional racing teams racing. It was all nations, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And I guess I don't know how much of the history we want to go into, but I just thought that was interesting. And just a fun fact for the Australian listeners, in 1988, Liz Heppel um, was third overall. Um, so for any of the Aussies there, Donna Ray Zielinski, who is working for Australian Cycling, has been part of Australian Cycling for a long time, and the DS of the Women's Road Program um, was her teammate at the time, and so was Kathy Watt. So for the Aussie listeners that know Women's Cycling, that's a bit of history. That's awesome. Well done, Lauren. Yeah, so the the women's Tour de France was shut down in 1989. And then after that, there was still a couple races that were French tours, the Grand uh, Boucle Feminine. No, Amy's not going to correct me. She also doesn't know how to pronounce it. I don't speak French, guys. (laughs) <laughs> Matt messaged me the other day on Slack and he was like, Do you speak French? And I was like, Nope. And he was, nope. I was like, Do you speak French? And he was like, Not really. And I was like, This is going to be sick. <laughs> yeah. You guys are going to have so much fun. <laughs> in all the small towns. <laughs> oh, wait. I'll just have to hit him with Spanish and see how it goes. Not well. Probably not. I'm not anticipating well. that will go well for the record. To be fair, yeah. I think you'd be almost better off with Spanish than English. Even if I disagree. Yeah. Not in northern France. Uh, not not in northern France. Yeah, true. If if she was like down by the border, then maybe. Yeah. Get a bit of Catalan going. Yeah. Then... Yeah. Wait, can you speak Catalan? No, Impressive. So I'm pulling us back in because we have limited time. So there was there were other races, the Tour Cycliste Feminine and the Grand Boucle that were races within France, multi-day races within France, but they weren't the Tour de France. They weren't called the Tour de France. And they were completely shut down until they were shut down in 2009. And at that point, we had a couple random races in France, but nothing that was associated with the ASO or the Men's Tour de France. In 2014, there was a petition that was made 
towards the ASO that was for a women's Tour de France. And what came out of it was the course by the Tour de France, a one-day event initially held on the Champs-Élysées, which we will talk about in a minute, that was moved around France along with the men's race. It was always on one day of the men's race, sometimes on the first day, sometimes it was mid-race. Um, always a really, really good fight. My favorite addition was the one in Nice, in 2020, I believe. Yes, 2020. That was a great one. Uh, where Elise Longaborghini and Lizzie Dagnan had like such good teamwork. And it ended up being Lizzie and Voss sprinting against each other. And Lizzie took the win over Voss. And I think one of the reasons I love that edition so much is because Tom said all the men's team on track were watching in the bus. And they were like, what the hell are they doing? They're totally messing this up. And then Lizzie won. And they all of them were like, we don't know anything about women's racing. We probably shouldn't comment. So the La Course by the Tour de France. But even with that one race going on, everyone still... I think every single year when the men's race rolled around, fans of the sport, women within the peloton, pretty much everyone would be like, well, when's there going to be a women's Tour de France? And eventually the ASO potentially begrudgingly caved and gave us this eight-stage race that will start on July 24th, this Sunday on the Champs-Élysées. There's something very beautiful about this kind of call back to the first La Course by the Tour de France where we're going to have the women racing on the Champs-Élysées a couple hours before the men finish on the Champs-Élysées. So hopefully the crowds are huge. That's what we got. Full circle. Full circle. Yes. So should we talk about the course? The first stage, obviously, on the Champs-Élysées, which, Lauren, you've raced La Course on the Champs. Mm -hmm. It's... It's not as easy. Sure, you'd think, oh, it's like a circuit race. It's only 82 kilometers long. It's hot. But it's actually quite hard. For one, it's cobbled. Um, so especially the sprint is cobbled. And if there's rain, it is oh. treacherous. Yeah. <laughs> Look back to 2015. Look course. My, uh, my article on the site that breaks down all of the courses it has a link to a youtube video of of 2015 <laughs> uh, just it's like an ice rink but it's also not flat it's the it's uphill on the champs so like a false flat uphill so it is quite a challenging course to begin with it's going to be great it's going to be a great start i f i think that there was this was the absolute best way to start this race if they were going to do it at the end of the men's race mm -hmm. because it's going to be all eyes are going to be on the champs anyway and that day is a day for the men that is just incredibly boring until the final like 45 minutes so the fact that they've they've added a little bit of tension with having the women's race start i mean how many riders in the peloton are going to be looking at this first day and thinking this is my chance to wear the yellow jersey i mean we've got Lotta Kopecky, we've got Mar Mariana Voss, who won the inaugural edition of uh, La, Cour the La Course by the Tour de France. There's so many riders that are looking at this stage, and I think it is going to be so far from the men's kind of parade into Paris with a sprint at the end. It is going to be an all-out battle from the moment that the flag drops until the end, and it's going to be a really great way to start the tour. Yeah, and I think for the GC riders, it's going to be super important to just stay safe and out of trouble because there's going to be a lot of hype and energy. And like you said, 
it is cobbled and, um, you know, it, it's, it's the first stage of the this race that people have been anticipating since they announced it. So um, that will be crucial. And I guess it's just a question of can anyone beat Weebers? Um, we know that it's a hard sprint, but she's proven in various different situations that she can win. Um, I think what, what race is it when she won an uphill sprint um, in April? Show the priest? No, no, yeah. that's a flat one. But she, you know, she's going really good, Weebers, and I have no doubt again that she is the sprinter to beat. So she's like, you know, when they rate the the riders, she's the rider with the four stars. And then I would say, um, yeah, Bas uh, Balsamo, of course, has been sprinting really well. We saw that in the Giro um, from Jumbo Visma, Voss or Lebecki. I don't know who they will go for there. I'm guessing Voss um, and it's a hard sprint. So um, yeah, then you've got Bastinelli, Consoni, um, who else? But um, Emma Norsgaard, Movistar. Yeah. Are saying that trying a bit harder with her. But yeah. She's not really been sprinting great this year. It seems. No, she hasn't. But I, I, yeah. Does I don't know what it says. Out? I also wonder like how much freedom Emma will get on that first day, given that Voss or given that Van Vluten mm-hmm. is obviously like the number one favorite for the overall. I feel like Emma might be stuck just kind of shepherding her around most of the day and then maybe get some freedom in the final three K when the Yeah. When the time rule is in play. But yeah. And it's a sprint you need quite a bit of support in. Um, like if you have a really good lead out in the sprint, it's it can be, yeah. We, we, we've just watched with the men's races. So just give Lorena Weavers the yellow jersey now. <laughs> She's definitely, yeah, the number one favorite for the first stage. And I think given, I mean, the second stage is also potentially a sprint finish. The second stage is 135K relative flat with like a slight uphill to the line. So I think um, it's another day. It's a really it's another really good day. Maybe, maybe by then, maybe on this day, we'll finally see Kopecky, uh take a win. She's not won in quite a while and obviously didn't have a great Giro. So I think that the second stage is a good stage for her. But I, I feel like if Weavis wants to wear the jersey, if, if DSM wants to have the yellow jersey in their team, they are going just the entire team is dedicated to getting Weebers to the line first. I've got Weebers, Weebers down stage one, stage two in my head, four star rating. Um, and then I guess really, yeah, the first two days are an opportunity. We've got a few smaller teams that have gotten the sort of wildcard entries, whatever you want to call them, that will be looking to get some TV time. Um, so we'll see a break probably go. Um and stay out there and then have typically, you know, the break getting caught in the last few kilometres. I hope that's the sort of stage that it is. Uh, I think it's stage three where things get a little bit more interesting. Yep. Stage three from, I I don't speak French either, so all of these pronunciations I'm just going to butcher. But from Rheim to Epernay, 133K. And this one has five categorized climbs with the first one coming pretty early in the stage. And then the final two are very steep and close to the line. So Mm -hmm. 
the final climb, Mount Vernon, is a kilometer long, averaging 4.6%, and is only 2.7 kilometers from the finish. So for me, this stage has Longaborghini's name yes. all over it. And I had Longaborghini and Kasha. For sure. I had a little look actually. I was curious. I was just looking through the the road book. And the road that climbed to Mount Bernon is really narrow. So I think there's potential there like to get it out of sight and it looks a bit technical going into the town. So definitely I would say that's a, a good call with Longoborghini. Yeah, and I mean, it comes like right after the Cote de Mutig. That's, I'm just not going to be able to. Comes right after another climb that's only 900 meters long, but it's 12.1%. So it's quite a significant climb that is definitely going to strain the Peloton out a lot and drop a lot of riders. And then it's it's not long until that final climb. And then after that, it's really, really fast to the line. So and it's even an uphill, it's uphill to the line as well. So that third stage is, I think, where we're going to see real gaps in the GC start to form. And I see the the jersey definitely changing hands on this day. Yeah, and I would also say that it, taking a better look at the stages, this tour does have what we maybe were missing in the Giro, which is these in-between type stages where the GC riders are going to have to be on it and seconds could be lost, but no one's taking three, four, five minutes on stage three. Um, and so I think these days will be really interesting and it kind of opens up the field a lot. And you can tell that in the teams that, um, that in the lineups that different teams are taking because there are definitely days for those more punchy riders, but also breakaways. And if if the peloton time it wrong with making the catch, which we've seen happen, you know, someone could could take someone surprising could take the jersey or take some difficult to get back time on GC. So I think yeah, it's really good to have these days that aren't just basically flat. Because realistically, if we think about the, the contenders, and I guess we'll go into this in a bit of depth, how many people can we see potentially winning the yellow jersey on that last day? So for all the other teams showing up, it will be chasing stage wins, right? Or potentially the mountains, uh, the QOM jersey or the sprint jersey. So these are all interesting um, things to kind of look at, like Lacole drops, uh, sorry, Lacole Wahoo. Um, you know, I, I think they, they might be chasing, was it in Tour Britain though, chasing the mountains jersey? Yeah, and, and almost not to uh, denigrate other races, but these four iconic jerseys maybe carry a lot more weight to them as well. So everyone knows what the green jersey and the polka jersey and the white jersey are. And I think, I think, yeah, it's maybe something we haven't thought about all that much is the teams who are really going to um, focus on those jerseys. And there's a lot of chances to take uh, points in all of those competitions. Also, actually, my internet cut out. So did we mention on the first stage the QOM point that occurs? No. Um, yeah, there's a QOM. On the Champs-Élysées. By the way, also, do I sound better? Because I realised about... 15 minutes into this podcast that I hadn't plugged my microphone in so you do sound yes. a lot better now and I was going to mention it but I was like maybe it's our internet so I'll just let it 
Let it oh, out. it's just my stupidity. Um, just apologize to Kaylee, who always yells at me when there's any audio issues. He doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a QM point on stage one. <laughs> and where is that? At the top, I guess, of the Champs Elysees. It is with sixty two point four kilometers to go. On the Champs Elysees. Well, there'll be people right. going bananas for that. I can. Mm-hmm. That's going to be. Can tell you, like, really, um, people go bananas because you get to stand on the stage and wear the polka dot jersey on the first day. On it's, the Champs Elysees, exactly. Too. Right. And again, in front of thousands of people. Something interesting. Uh, seen though, we're talking a little bit about sprints. Is do we think Weebers is going to go for the green jersey? I would say yes. Yeah. I feel like she'll get it almost by default just by being winning the dominant sprinter. Because I don't know. I think Voss Voss might pull like a Mm. Wout Van Art move and Mm. go in go in moves and like get all the intermediate sprints. Yeah, keep it in the Yumbovers and the family. I mean the the battle for the green jersey between like Weebus and Voss and maybe even Kapegi if she decides to jump in there is is going to be really good. Like the green jersey battle is going to be very good. What about mm-hmm. Consoni? Because Consoni yeah. has actually been quite strong in really um, puncture sort of courses too. So, um, and Balsamo. Balsamo. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're really getting ahead of ourselves with the contenders. Okay. We haven't even talked about the rest <laughs> of the race. <laughs> Brandon was back in. Let's chat about stage four because stage four is a stage that is going to be, I mean, the to, to quote the age-old, really obnoxious um, line about these oh, no. stages. She's going to do it. She's going to say it. I'm going to do it. The race can't be won on stage four, but it can definitely be lost be on stage lost. four. <laughs> so stage four, the 126-kilometer-long stage, has four gravel sectors in it. So this is like a Strada Bianchi-esque, but with I have heard the dirt is a little bit a little bit more treacherous than the Strada the Strada Bianchi White Roads, but not like not bad. Not like Giro Giro Donna stage two, was it? Uh twenty twenty. Yeah. It's I not heard, that bad. I heard the opposite about the gravel. I don't know who told me really? this now, but they said that it wasn't as bad as Strada Bianchi. All right. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it has four gravel sectors and three of them are on climbs. They come halfway in, six, 68.1 kilometers into the stage, 77 kilometers into the stage, and uh, 89, and then 106. And four, three, and one, counting towards the finish, are all um, are all on climbs as well. Plus, there's six climbs in the final half of the race once they get to the first gravel sector it's basically like climb 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 gravel climb climb with gravel climb climb so it's a very very challenging day and i feel like for any people who have watched the men's race they're like i don't know about the women's race i'm just going to tune in for one stage if you tune in for one stage you should probably tune in for this stage because it's going to be it's going to be insane i mean it's going to be first of all potentially the jersey will change hands yet again but also it's a stage where all of the gc riders are going to want to be in the mix because it is 
very likely that we're going to see at least one or two of them lose time on this day. Mm. And none of the climbs are significant. It's like strata. It's like little punchy climbs, but it's, it's all so backloaded into the stage and so close together that it's just a really challenging day. Yeah. Well, it's the <laughs> risk of punctures, right. And things like that, that could go wrong. Getting out position. Um, getting separated from one of the Spanish tours where, you know, there was some crosswinds and we saw her go out the back. Um, so this is kind of going back to what you said about you can't win the tour today, but you definitely can lose it. And I think teams that will be pushing it will be teams like SD Works and Trek. Um, and I would say FDJ could get in the mix there too. So I don't another cliche is going to be, it's, obviously on in the stage race but it's going to be raced like a one day classic mm, mm-hmm. yeah what yeah. is it like honestly this so race maybe- is going from strength to strength yeah. <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i'm so excited for this stage i mean i think the first three stages are going to be exciting themselves but by the time we hit this fourth stage i mean the race is really going to kick off and it's we've said it before i've said it in other podcasts that this race really kind of builds um the stages in terms of how difficult they are and it's giving an opportunity to riders like Kapeki. like if Kapeki hasn't worn the jersey yet obviously her win at strada bianchi was amazing she was potentially on better form then, but it's, it's a day for someone like her. Maybe if Voss has lost to Webus, um, on the first day, she'll go for this stage. I mean, it's, it's a really great day for riders like that, but it's also a really great day for, for GC riders. And I mean, for the women's Peloton, like we've talked about it before, there's, there's not as much specialization. So you can't really say like, oh yeah, classics riders are really going to thrive on this day. Like we're going to see Van Vluten in the mix. We're going to see Demi up there. Like we're going to see Ashley Moom and Passio fighting up there as well. And all the riders who want to win this race are going to be at the front of this race. And it's going to be really, really exciting. Let's not forget all the uh, cyclocross riders. <laughs> Indeed. The whole team of them. Yeah. Oh, and the world champion. And the world champion. She's, yeah, she's obviously riding super well. She proved at the Giro, so. Oh, also, like, this is a stage where I feel like teams are going to really, if if there's a stage that you're like, oh, yeah, we can get time on Van Vluten and hopefully have a buffer going into stage seven, this is is their first real opportunity to do that. I think at the end of stage three, there will be potentially some time gaps if it's raced. Uh, really aggressively at the end and like I was saying with that really narrow road with that final climb and then the technical run into the finish um, gaps will open there not major like you said Abby but there will be gaps stage five is looks like a really great day for a breakaway both stage five and stage six are both like your classic in between stages where it's a really great day for a break. There's some climbs. There's three climbs that day. So the mountains, anyone going for the mountain classification on both stage five and stage six that has four climbs 
are going to want to get up the road on these days. And stage five has kind of a flat finish. And stage six, it's a it's a downhill, 1.3 kilometer long climb, and then downhill to the finish, the final eight, seven and a half K ish, um, downhill to the finish. So both of those days are great breakaway days, which is something that we didn't really see a ton of at the Giro. So that's really exciting for smaller teams to get some airtime, but also I feel like for stage six, it's going to be like a tale of two races. Like I see them, I see the break getting a bunch of time on stage six and then uh, the GC riders having like a miniature battle on that 1.3 kilometer long climb because riders like Kasha and Eliza and, and even Voss can get a little bit of time on this descent going into the finish on Van Vluten, which we talked about in the Giro pod. That's like, if you're going to take advantage of, um, of the course to get a little bit on Van Vluten, it's on a descent. So with a descent to the line on stage six, it's yeah, not an insignificant day, but definitely a day where I don't think we're going to see a ton of fight for the GC. And on the flip side, I mean, with uh, even Marta Cavalli gapped her and she's not a phenomenal descender. That being said, I think uh, Anamik was just um, trying not to take too many risks at the Giro, particularly when she had her her little hiccup on the one corner. Um, so she will be wanting to race it hard to make sure that there aren't that many contenders left with her, um, even if there is that break up the road of non-GC mm-hmm. contenders. So she's going to be definitely on the defensive and offensive, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the teams will have to be really careful who they let get in the breaks on those days because there are a lot of teams who have a leader and then kind of a sneaky co-leader or a plan B. And I think if one of those riders were to be in the move, so someone like Roy Eckers or Evita Music or even someone like Grace Brown, if they were in that move and took some time, it might not be enough to win the race, but that's the kind of ride that could put you into the top 10 if you take a couple of minutes over someone like Van Vleuten and Vollering. And we've seen it happening in the men's race. Riders are getting in the breakaway in these late late stages, taking five, six, seven, seven minutes back and kind of shooting up 20 places in the GC. And so I think, yeah, after the podium, there's a lot to be played for in the top 10. And a lot of teams have a really good kind of secondary GC option. So uh, teams like Movistar will have to really uh, keep an eye on who they're letting up the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be good after we've broken down the the stages to go into the contender list. Because I, I made a little list and for a few of the teams, I've got two riders for each team. Cool. Let's talk about stage seven and eight before we dive into that because for me when I when I mentioned the Tour de France Femme in the last pod I hadn't looked really in depth at the stages yet and so I hadn't seen stage seven which is 127 kilometers and involves three climbs in total there's 30 almost 30 kilometers of climbing this day the first climb Ballons. is 48 mm-hmm, 48.6 uh, kilometers into the stage and it's 9.3 kilometers long. The next one is pretty quickly after that. It just basically descends and climbs again, 7.1 kilometers. And then a super long descent with like a little bit of 
flattish, falls flatty into the final climb, which is 13.5 kilometers. So it's way longer than the Planche de Belfi. There's more climbing on this stage. And it's, I mean, I think this is a stage that is going to be when we see Anamique really come out flying. But the fact that there's also so much descending makes it, I mean, this is going to be the first GC day, really. Two, with, a, with two stages remaining in the race, it, it'll be the first day that the GC battle is truly on from the start. I guess to, this is actually the day that it could be lost or won. I lost my connection for a moment. It's um, a cursed day for internet we're having. It, yeah, I know. It is indeed. Tilda and I are the only ones who are crystal clear. Able. <laughs> yeah. Stable. Keep saying I'm unstable. saying unstable. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does it know my mental state? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, on paper it looks epic. I think there is a chance that Anamique is looking at this stage as a safer day to take time. And with the climbs being longer, she could take quite a lot of time. And La Planche de Belfi is really long. Well, it's not really long. <laughs> it's long and it's hard. And the gravel and the seat bits, there's kind of a lot to go wrong. And it will be crazy, that stage, I think. So I think Anamique might be looking at this day, which is judged a big pure climbing day where that's all that matters is climbing and descending and there's kind of no not many other variables to contend with like there will be on Sunday um and so I think this might be the big day where she really 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 goes for it and early in the stage because she Mm. does better it's gonna be potentially less exciting than the final day because I think that a lot of riders are gonna look at this stage and especially that final climb, like Cavalli and Demi and Ashley. And there's there's a lot of riders that want the yellow jersey at the end of this race who are gonna look at this stage and just say, all right, we just have to hold on to Anamique on the final climb. It's not about attacking her. It's not about gaining time on her on any of the other parts of this course. It's just about holding her wheel on the final climb because I think Tilda's right. The La Super Planche de Belfi, there's so much that can go wrong. And it's not it's not like a climb that you would typically see Anamique just like ride away from everybody. I think it suits other riders as well. It's not like one of these super long mountain climbs. It's just a little bit different the way that the race can play out on it. So she will, for for riders who want to beat Anamik, they'll be looking at the final day as an opportunity to do so. It's more like damage control on stage seven. But it's like we said last week, it's not really the last climb, the Planche de Buffy is not really a climb that we can see Anamik like just taking loads of time on, being able to ride away from everyone, just because of the profile of the climb mm. so yeah mm-hmm. Tilda's completely right and I mean watch us like, say this and then she's gonna do it and we're gonna be like god damn it <laughs> but that's that's what we like though we don't know what's gonna happen that's what's exciting oh good no I was just I agree 100% with Tilda I think stage seven is where it's just gonna be fireworks and from both ends, Anamique needs selective, kind of like what we saw on that stage. Was it three or four of the Giro? 
um, where the last 50 kilometers, it was just three competitors. It needs to be in that sort of situation for her. Um, you know, having the likes of an Elisa Longo-Borghini with difficult descents, we still don't know what these descents are like because these are the lower mountains. Um, I'm not super familiar with the mountains in northern France, but we're not talking about real alpine descents here. Um, it's very different. It's very different to what we saw in the Giro. So they might not be as technical, um, which will suit Anamik much better because I think she she still descends quite well, but she doesn't descend at the level um, these other riders are descending at, like, for example, Elisa um, or Cassie Nuodoma. It's going to be very interesting to see how she's going right now because, you know, on paper I think Roy Ackers has been climbing better than her this year, but in terms of skills, Castier is definitely the one who's better skilled and will do better on stages like stage three and um, stage four in the gravel. So, yeah, I'm super curious. But I think the race needs to be raced hard from the get-go as soon as they hit the first sort of climb needs to, to go. There's still fairly decent length climbs and therefore descents kind of 9K, 7K. Mm. 13k climbs and i think the descent off the second climb is quite long so i guess yeah it depends how technical they are as well but they're mm. not insignificant descents yeah, the, it's not like they're just racing into the planche de belfi and then and then racing up it there's it's definitely going to break apart before then which i think we can kind of mention that there's only two hours of live coverage for each stage so it's two and a half now or no two and a half yeah the the amount of live coverage we have does not um cover the amount of exciting racing that will be happening on stages four six four seven and eight um since the racing will definitely kick off earlier based on the profiles but who can we so in terms of following it before it goes live Will cycling tips be doing a live ticker or something like that, or how's? Hey, don't watch me for tweeting. It's not happening. A competitor, <laughs> um, competitor will definitely be doing okay. live. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ASO ticker is usually quite good. Okay, um, but yeah, yeah. Also, the ASO ASO one is really good. And following, there's some people on Twitter who have always done a really, really good job of following the women's racing. So there's definitely like ways to follow along. Um, I personally love just like following the hashtag on Twitter because mm. then you also get a little bit of fan interaction, which is horrifying and exciting. Are mechanics still tweeting like they did back in the days? You know, how some mechanics used to be really on it with tweeting what was going on because they can hear in the race radio. There was one from Bowles, like I'm talking six, seven years ago, who used to tweet, um, this is before we had live coverage, um, what was happening in the race. And that's how we sort of knew what was going on. Yeah, I remember that. He still tweets a lot. Oh, okay. I can't remember his name right now. Richie Steeg or something, something like that. I One of so. the the yeah. Dutchy or Belgians. Um, I can I can tag them in my um in my preview post on the website if so people know how to follow along. What will be really interesting to see is like how many people 
follow this race having followed the men's race and like don't really know much about the about women's racing and how many of the people watching this race are going to be like your standard women's racing fans who have always been fans i personally like always felt i've been watching the tour de france now for i don't know how long since i started cycling over 20 years and there was always like this huge disappointment on the last day because you knew it was over and it was like this come down almost like you know when you went away for a week partying with your friends and then you have to go back to school sort of feeling that makes sense and now that we have the women's tour de france people don't have to have that depressive moment anymore because there's a whole another week to look forward to and it's summer vacation here in the northern part of the world so people are still on holidays and still have time to tune in so I feel like there are going to be lots of new viewers, um, you know, people like my my father-in-law who does watch women's cycling now, he'll definitely be tuning in. And I think we'll just see lots of those sorts of people who now know more about women's cycling, but um, they have a whole week. They might not tune in for the whole race, but they'll definitely be tuning in for parts of it. Definitely the final two stages. Yeah, and I mean, what's interesting about all of the the new people that will probably tune in is they they probably don't know a ton about the competitors because I think if we look at the contenders, we're looking at a lot of the same people that we've been following this year. So let's go over the contenders. I want to throw it to you, Lauren, because you've made a list. Yeah. So hit us with, I was hit us like, with some contenders. I feel like we've been building up to this, and if I wasn't somewhat prepared, that would be just disappointing. But anyway, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's not contenders from all the teams because I believe there are teams there that don't have riders who are going to be contending the for the yellow jersey. So with DSM, we have Lippert and Labu as the two riders who you would say are the climbers on the team. So they can bounce off one another. Um, I think Labu in, um, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, um, in the Giro said she was targeting the tour. Is that right, Tilda, I think? I think so. I think yeah. for the French riders especially. Yeah, but we didn't yeah. see Lippart there and she has been going well this year. Um, she's had some really notable results, so I wouldn't discount her. Then for Canyon, we obviously have Royakas, who's done very well this season, um, and then Uadoma. So um, it will be interesting to see how Cassia um, comes out for this tour. And then for Tipco, I had Veronica Uwes in there as their potential rider because she's, she's had a great year as well. For FDJ, I've put Cavalli alongside Ludwig and then in brackets, Brown, because I feel like Brown could take some time somewhere. Um, for Bike Exchange, it's Spratt and Faulkner. For Jumbo Visna, I've put Henderson um, because actually I feel like we haven't seen that much of her and she had a really start, a strong start to the season, so maybe she will be up there. Uh, SD works, Vollering, and then in brackets, Mulman. I think that's going to be a very tricky situation there because Vollering, I don't know if I've seen much in the media about her being vocal about the Tour de France, but Ashley Mulman has been. We've spoken about it before, and I think actually Abby's brought it up quite a bit, that in races it seems like there have been certain situations, uh, Amstel Gold obviously comes to mind, that 
there was lack of a communication or something's not quite working there between those two. And they're definitely the two standouts um, climbers, but I would put my money on Vollering over, over um, Mulman. And we haven't even thrown in time bonuses yet, right, to consider. So in terms of getting time bonuses here and there, Vollering is a faster finisher. So, um, yeah, I would back her for Trek. Yeah, of course, Elisa Longobogini. Um, and then I've put here for some of the smaller teens, I think for Kofidis, Rachel Nalen will be trying to have a crack here. We haven't seen that much of her this year, but um, knowing her as a rider when she really targets a race, particularly like this, we'll see her come out in the climbing stages. But um, descending is not one of her her skills. So, uh, And then for Lakol Wahoo, it would be great to see Lizzie Holden having a crack at being a leader. Um, and that was sort of my little list. Yeah, I think it, it's really interesting to see like some ride, some teams going in with multi, multiple options. Um, and like some teams have sneaky options. Like I think Team DSM is actually, depending on how much energy they spend getting Lorena Weebus multiple stage wins, um, they have actually some really legit contenders for also being up there in the mix in the GC. And this race is going to be so interesting because it's been, it's such a big deal, this race that everyone is going to be flying. Like everybody is going to be targeting this race from a first time, someone who's first year pro to Annemiek Van, Van Vluten, like the most seasoned rider in the Peloton. And like, we've got riders like Kristen Faulkner, who's been really toying with that top form and has been just incredible in races. Um, previously, we've got riders like Mavi Garcia, who I think, you know, if she holds it together, could be a real contender for the yellow jersey, especially given the climbing on stage seven and stage eight. And the fact that the race is shorter with potentially less energy expended the first couple stages for someone like Garcia who fell apart in the end of the Giro. And then like, yeah, we, we have no idea how, uh, Cassia Niwadoma is riding. She, her and, um, Demi Vollering both have kind of hermited themselves away and have really been focusing on this race and training full gas for this race. I mean, yeah, we haven't seen either of them in race recently at all. The last time Kasha Niwadoma raced was the women's tour. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And Vollering? Vollering did nationals. And before that, it was Spain. Before that, it was her... Whatever um, it was. Isulia? Burgos and it's oh. yeah. yeah. She did do Burgos, where she was third overall and won the final stage. But yeah, it's Zulia, she just like... Dominated. made everybody look like clowns mm. so so it'll be and and there's other teams i feel like it's worth mentioning there's teams that have literally formed themselves or gone world tour for this race and so there's a lot of pressure on riders from like ef education tibco silicon valley blank uh-oh someone else take this that's all right um who wants to continue on? Yeah, I can talk a bit about this. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting looking at these new world tour teams uh, like Uno X as well and Rally, 
who, as Abby said, kind of formed because of this race. And yet you look at their teams and you think, but what are you going to do here? Not in a, again, that sounds a bit mean, but a lot of them don't have a very clear GC contender. A lot of them don't really have a very clear sprinter. So I think those riders will be, um, those riders and teams will be the people that we see maybe in the breakaways as well. Um, Because we often look towards the smaller teams to kind of fill out those breakaways and small French teams and want want to get CV. But actually, I think in this race, weirdly there'll be a lot of world tour interest in those um races because that's that's how those teams can leave their mark on the race and uh yeah i don't think any of those teams would deny that going to the tour de france is a huge part of why they went world tour and so you can't really go to that race and not do anything that doesn't really fulfill your goal i don't think so yeah it'll be interesting to see how those teams tackle it yeah because they've got to do something Mm -hmm. i like having Mm. invested so much in just going world tour purely to enter this race they've got to back that up because they haven't backed it up with anything else really for the rest of the season ef have with some really good rides from some of their riders like ronicky us but rolling whatever biscuit thingy they what have they done for example Mm. yeah and then you've got like um yeah teams that are going into this race that like really have um a lot of young riders that are going to be really excited to prove themselves and then teams that are, you know, on the older side with a lot of experience. I mean, there's just like so much, there's so much about this race, so much more than just, all right, who, who are we going to see fighting for the yellow Jersey? There is a lot on the line for pretty much every single team on the start list. And there's teams that want to be world tour next year who are on this, on this start list, who are going to be, trying to prove something so there's there's just a lot and it's really really exciting i mean i think it just means that every single day of this race is gonna be race like a one day yeah and and i think with it with the gc being so competitive uh and with anime being in such good form a lot of these teams really have readjusted their kind of expectations and there aren't teams that are going into this saying it's the allergy as you're nothing perhaps Mobistar are the only ones and SD Works even have different options but a lot of teams have kind of readjusted their expectations I think even Canyon Surround thinking a podium would be a win winning a stage would be massive going after a jersey would be a really big thing and so yeah these these other these other elements aren't aren't incidental to the teams they are also really focusing on them because focusing on the yellow is going to be so hard Mm. And is the white jersey like the the men's Tour de France U twenty five? Uh, it's U twenty three. They changed it. Oh, it which is U twenty three. A good thing because twenty five well, is a bit old in the men's. Considering we've got yeah, and we've got the U twenty three World Championships in a few years. So, I mm. mean, that will be a great battle as well. Like you were mentioning, some of those younger riders. Um, I'm not sure actually of who are the young riders, but. One rider I think that would be worth, I've spoken about her before, but your Linda Horace team, the the next gen team, I think we might see some really great things from Ali Wollaston in this tour. She is a good sprinter, actually. She she could be a good, um, she could have a crack at the old green jersey maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, And still a rider that is, I think, not unknown, but maybe... um, overlooked at times we haven't really spoken about Velcar, but i'm guessing like looking at the team they've got here 
Uh, we did mention that maybe they could be, yeah, hunting stage wins and the sprint jersey. It'll be interesting to see how Olivia's riding after she crashed in the Giro because she's obviously had quite a good season building up to this. And I think for her, she would probably be probably be looking at the GC. Um, is she young? Which she's, she is young She's and she's pretty new. And I think for her, like she probably wouldn't be an exciting rider to watch for the GC. I think that she would be one who just kind of sneaks quietly into like sixth in the general cl- classification but she's she's a rider who i feel like is worth keeping an eye on because she's well for one she's the only canadian on this entirely italian team so i think she's great because canadians but there um, is some good canadian talent coming through i think um another really one is. is simona boylard i don't know if she's mm-hmm. a trackie as well She's been racing like since the dawn of time. Okay. She's she's been racing since I before I was racing. Oh wow. I was yeah. She's like she's really young though and uh. and has a lot of talent. Um as you know, Lauren, it's pretty hard to get over to Europe as a Australian, Canadian, American. Kiwi. Non- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. South African. <laughs> Speaking of Kiwis, we're not going to see Neve Fisher Black. That's really upsetting. She's a but shame. She could have highly been. Highly recommend listening to the podcast with Amy and Neve from earlier this week. And Amy's done a profile. The nominated Cycling Tips Kiwi correspondent over here. Yes. <laughs> uh, I am super bummed we're not going to see her because I think she would be a real good contender for the Young Riders jersey. And I think for SD Works, it's like such an interesting. I'm so interested in what they're going to do going into this race. Cause obviously like a lot of pressure on them to do well. Demi's been really targeting it, but, but so has Ashley. And as we've said, they potentially don't ride super well together. I feel like there's also maybe a rift in the team where you've got like team Demi and team Ashley. And most of the riders on this start list are team Demi having been teammates with her before, like Chantal Vanderbilt black and Christine Mayerus are going to be super valuable on stage four and Marlon Rusa. I, we haven't seen her race in a really long time. So I'm mm-hmm. super excited to see how she's going. I mean, SD Works is such an interesting team because they're like the best of the best, but we saw them completely drop the ball at races earlier this year. So how are they going to go, especially with two leaders? I think that's why they really should be going into this. We're all in for Demi. Yeah. But then you'd, you'd sort of, on paper, you'd be like, yeah, that like Ashley is a, an, a really talented climber. She's the perfect domestique in the mountains for Demi but if she's been vocal about her own ambitions for GC that makes it very interesting in terms of but how is she going to do on the gravel is what like Demi is the uh, national champion for gravel in the Netherlands mm-hmm. on a gravel bike I would imagine I think also not just that all technical no aspects. yeah for sure I think Demi. and, and t- tactics yeah. dare I say and I, I'm pretty sure the team are saying they're going for Demi. So even, you know, Ashley can say that she wants to go for the yellow jersey, but the team have their plan. And it will be interesting to see how those two things match up because I'm pretty sure the team have been saying pretty strongly it's in for Demi for GC. And so, yeah, we, like we all know that. The team all knows that. And so 
it would be quite uh, shocking if there was like a very clear um, effort from Ashley Moore and Passio to show like that was against that plan, if that makes sense. Um, there's a ton of other stuff to look forward to, to the, with this race. Uh, and I really recommend Amy's piece on the site between like the gravel, the teamwork breakthrough riders to watch. And then I will be writing a contenders piece to come out tomorrow, Friday or Saturday and check out the stages on the site as well. We're going to wrap up this episode. We covered a ton. We've got daily podcasts coming up. Lauren and I will be, quote, in the studio. Amy (laughs) will be on the ground with Matt Deneef. So we're going to have tons of coverage of the race coming up. And we're going to close out this episode with a little something. Oh, before I close the episode, we also have Rider Diaries from the likes of Julie Leth and other riders in the Peloton yet to be named, who will be joining us daily throughout the Tour de France fam of X-Wift to give us a little bit of on-the-ground feel in the Peloton, talk about their hotels, all that good stuff. So we'll end the episode with a little hello and what she expects from Gracie Elvin. Hey, Free Willing listeners. I'm still on location at the Tour de France. We're coming into the last few days of week three. I'm very smashed, but still having a good time. And we're rolling into the Tour de France farm and it's going to be so exciting. I think all of our energy is going to lift again once we get to Paris and the excitement, you know, hits us for this first modern version of the Women's Tour de France. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to is day one. I think the the Paris stage, of course, is going to be a really great day because of the, it's the last day of the men's tour. It's always iconic on the Champs-Élysées, but I think it also pays homage to La Course in the past. I got to do a couple of editions in Paris and it was always really special. And I think the, the winner of that stage is, it's almost going to be as special as the, the winner of the the, the tour overall because that first stage winner is going to get to wear that first yellow jersey. It's a sprint stage, but, you know, anything can happen, like when uh, Anna van der Breggen won it in a solo late attack. So, yeah, I'm looking to Lorena Weber's to probably take out that stage. No one's as quick as her at the moment, but I just really want to see an exciting race. Everything's on the line that first day. And I really like how they've written the narrative of all the stages of the tour really makes sense to me. We've got a couple of good sprint stages in the middle of the tour. There's some intermediate stages and that's where I'm looking to see, you know, one of my favorite riders, Grace Brown, go for an opportunity in a, in a tough hillier stage for a stage win. And then finishing in the mountains, especially on the Planche de Belfi, I think it's hard to go past Annemiek van Vluten to ride away from everyone on that tough climb. I got to go see it the other day when the men's stage finished there, but, um, I think everyone's lifted the level again this year in women's cycling and and this is going to be such a huge goal for so many riders. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be super competitive and Annemiek is not going to have an easy job to try and win that stage or the tour overall. So I just can't wait. I'll be on the ground. Look out for me in the coverage and thanks for listening.